I'm Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Prodigal Stories podcast, a show where Trey Goins Phillips and I take you through some of the most powerful stories of the day, stories of hope, transformation, and intrigue. On today's show, we're sitting down with Pastor Greg Laurie. Now, we all know and love Pastor Greg Laurie's work, but we're talking today about a very special project, the new movie, Jesus Revolution. The film, which hit theaters across the country this weekend, exceeded expectations, coming in at over $15 million at the box office. This is a movie that tells Greg Laurie's story, what his life was like before finding Christ, and what happened after. But beyond that, it tells some other intriguing stories, including that of Pastor Chuck Smith. The late preacher was the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, and the film itself unpacks so much of that history. So with no further ado, we're going to be sitting down with Pastor Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie, so your story uh, is told in the new film, Jesus Revolution. What was it like for you to take your story, which you and I have talked about many times, it's an incredible testimony, and watch that be turned into a Hollywood film? Well, John Irwin, the director, did such an amazing job, and I can't think of anybody else I would have trusted with my story, Uh, but because we've been friends for a number of years, and I know what his uh, abilities are as a filmmaker, because, you know, he made Woodlawn, American Underdog, I Still Believe, I Can Only Imagine, which are all, apart from the fact that they have a beautiful, redemptive message, well-crafted films, so... Uh, I thought John really caught a lot. You know, it's interesting, Billy. Uh, as I, I jokingly would say to John, I like your version of my story better than mine, you know, because he he sprinkled some Hollywood fairy dust on it, you know? And and so what that means is timelines are compressed and and things are, you know, moved around a little bit. Not the essential story, but but little details that make it far more cohesive and and movie-like, you know, where you have those moments. And and he, he would weave in little things I would say to him and, and put it in just the right scene with the music coming up. And it's powerful. And I think he did an incredible job. I'm very pleased with it. I was there while it was being filmed uh, in Alabama and California. And uh, now to see the finished, finished product with all the music completed and they enhanced the color and they... The sound is so much more dramatic now. It's I'm still very moved when I watch it. And and though it is my story, I kind of watch it, you know, as an audience member too, as a viewer. And I, I kind of see it as people see it. And and I'm very happy with what John has done. And also Brent McCorkle helped to direct it. Two such talented guys. You know, something that I find so fascinating about these projects is the casting, particularly, of course, when it's based off of a true story. Uh, I'm interested what level of of involvement did you have in casting? Obviously, Joel Courtney plays you. How did that come about uh, as well? Well, Brad Pitt wanted to play me, and we just said, Brad, sorry, you're too old. This is a 17-year-old. It was hard to turn Brad down like that. I'm sure. And Leo Leo been. comes. It's like, come on, Leo. You know, no, I'm joking. Uh, I didn't even need to say I'm joking, did I? Why did I even say I'm joking? But no, seriously, uh, John did the casting. Um, I, I My strong input was only on one uh, role, and that was the role of Lonnie Frisbee, because I'd been watching Jonathan Rumi and his portrayal of Jesus, and I thought he was so masterful in that role. And then when I met Jonathan, and of course, he's really not anything like that role he plays 
He's just like a regular kind of guy, actually from the East Coast. He's funny and and he he did he mimicked a whole bunch of accents for me. Uh, like I said, do a British accent, do a East Coast accent, do this, do that, and he did them all so perfectly. And I thought this guy is perfect for this role. And he really studied Lonnie Frisbee. There's not a lot of video on Lonnie. He captured the cadence of the way he spoke, even the kind of the tenor of his voice. Incredible. And uh, and I think Joe, I think that Joel Courtney was a fantastic uh, person to play me. He he gives a very nuanced performance because a lot of these characters are a little bit bigger than life. Kelsey Grammer as Chuck Smith, Jonathan Rumi as Lonnie Frisbee, even Anna Grace Barlow as my wife Kathy. Very colorful uh, characters, and and Joel had to play a more subtle performance because he's showing a, a young man who's closed off in life. A young man, me, who was disappointed, who had to grow up fast. And, and then as as things happen to Greg, uh, you see him open up and you see him change. And man, the more I watch it, the more I realize how beautifully Joel did this. And so I I love everybody in their role. Kimberly uh, Paisley Williams did an amazing job playing my mother, Charlene. Uh, all the all the actors, I'm telling you, I, I'm not exaggerating here. All the actors did an amazing job. So much so, you don't think of them as actors. You're pulled into the story. You see them, see them as the people they're playing. And, and you're kind of like, what's going to happen next? Because it does not follow predictable lines. It is, this is not your typical Christian film. And, and I say that as a compliment. It's It's more like real life. There's twists, there's turns, there's surprises, powerful moments that will make you laugh and cry, and best of all, a pretty strong presentation of the gospel, maybe the strongest I've ever seen in any Christian film. Wow. Well, you know, I have to ask you, because you're being given this really unique opportunity here. You've shared your story many times over the years, but being able to look at it through this lens of a film and watch it for yourself and see that journey, you know the journey, you've been on it, but now you're sort of watching it. What has that taught you looking back, seeing the actors portray you as a, as a young person growing up? What has all that shown you about God? What lesson do you take away from that looking back? That's a great question. Well, you know, it's funny when you've lived a story in your life and then you've told a story, it's one thing. But when you see it through the eyes of someone else and specifically a filmmaker, you see it in a new way. And I think what I see when I watch the movie is sort of the connective tissue, if you will, like, oh, it kind of fits like it makes more sense as you pull the camera back and get the big picture as opposed to all the little twists and turns of life. And I think that, um, you know, I look at it and I'm just thankful to God because, you know, Billy, uh, I'm always encouraging Christians, share your faith. Most people come to Christ because someone shared the gospel with them. Bring that person to church, right? We tell this to people all the time. No one brought me to church. No one shared the gospel with me. I literally invited myself to the Christian meeting on my high school campus and eavesdropped on their conversation. So the moral of the story is, and I don't want to say this to sound like my conversions were spiritual, but Jesus Christ literally reached in and pulled me out of my old life. Um, no one talked to me. No one invited me. They invited me to church after, but 
but it was just a divine appointment designed by God. And, and even after I prayed this prayer and had no idea what I'd done, and I went up to the mountains to get high, because that was my plan for the weekend, as I was sitting there on a rock loading my pipe up with weed and getting ready to smoke it, that same still small voice that spoke to me only hours before my high school campus said, clear as day, you don't need that anymore. It was like I encountered God. And and then I met Christians, and then people started explaining to me what had happened to me, which I was still mystified by, and then I began to grow in my faith and all that. So it's I'm just really thankful for what God has done. And you know, my what was the exception when I was a kid is more the norm now. So when I was a kid, you know, my mom was married and divorced seven times. I was conceived out of wedlock. My mom was an alcoholic. Pretty unusual story. I didn't know many friends in school back in the early 60s who had alcoholic mothers, married and divorced seven times, uh, et cetera. But nowadays, so many kids come from broken homes. Nowadays, drugs are so prevalent, alcohol so widespread. So what was kind of the exception in my day as a young man is more, I wouldn't say the norm, but it's more like the norm. So I look back on my life and, and I wouldn't, if I would have chosen, I wouldn't have said, this is the life I want to live. But now that I see that God can use it as a tool, I would say, I'm thankful that despite the life I live, God has taken it and will use it to encourage other people, to tell them whatever you're going through, you can get through this, you can survive this, and God has a plan for your life. You know, Greg, Jesus Revolution is chronicling uh, a revival, right? The, and, yeah. and the way that the Lord has impacted your life and so many individuals' lives, but it's also the collective. Uh, and I wonder, what do you think would look different today? Uh, if revival happened in 2023 in America, how would it be different? Or maybe what similarities would you see from the revival that happened that's chronicled in the in the film? Right. Well, you know, we've had four great awakenings or revivals in American history. The first was when our nation was being founded before we were officially a nation. It happened among the colonists under the preaching of George Whitfield. Then there was a frontier revival uh, that was early 1800s, late 1700s. Uh, that's where they would set up the, the makeshift buildings, uh, the tents, and put the sawdust on the ground, and you'd walk the sawdust trail, you know, and and give your life to Christ. Then there was the prayer revival uh, in the early 18 or the late 1800s in New York City when a man named Jeremiah Lamphier started a prayer meeting downtown New York and no one really came. And then the stock market crashed and people started attending on the thousands and it turned into an awakening. Then you have the Jesus movement. So I think what we tend to do is we think, well, the next revival will be like the last revival. But the fact of the matter is all of these revivals were unique. The first one was more of a preacher reaching people and an awakening came. The second was, you know, similar to that with the tent meetings and, and so forth. And then the prayer revival, that was quite unique. And then the Jesus movement was uniquely a youth revival. That was not true of the others, but the Jesus movement was a youth revival. So when God sends an awakening, Will it happen the same way? Will we have another generation that are kind of like the hippies of the late 60s? And who would that generation be? And so we think, would it be this group or that group? Maybe, and maybe not. 
Uh, but I know one thing, that no matter how it comes, this revival, the next one, and I pray there will at least be one more, will spread so quickly it would be shocking because we didn't have the mass communication in the 70s that we have today. Like our modern tech was literally the cassette, okay? And that was revolutionary because you could carry it around in your pocket and play it when you want to. But now with, you know, social media and instant communication and all the social media platforms, if God was at work and an awakening was happening, not only would it spread like wildfire, you could be watching it online. You could be seeing it happening. Mm -hmm. So it's very exciting. We see how social media and these other tools are used to distract people and sometimes in some ways destroy people. I would love to use these platforms be used to bring people to Christ. And so so the that's a long way around the barn to say, I'm not sure what the next awakening would look like exactly, but it might be similar to those ones I just mentioned. All right, last question for you, and it's kind of a big one, but you know the end times, right? People will look at you know eschatology and theology, and they'll say, "But things are going to get worse and worse. They're not going to get better." So, how could we have a revival? How can those two things happen at the same time? I wanted to throw that over to you because I always love how you address this. Yeah, well, there's a lot going on in our world right now. Of course, we have the Chinese spy balloon hovering across our nation. We have the continuing war in Ukraine. We have world leaders like Biden himself, President Biden, and Putin talking about potential nuclear war and even using the word Armageddon, which I think should be a no-no for a president to even use that word. Uh, but anyway, uh, everything's escalated. Everything's happening, it seems, in rapid rapid movement. Uh, we were seeing it back in my day, but we see it even more now. And Jesus likened it to labor pains being closer together and before the woman gives birth. And that's what the end times signs would look like. There would be more of them closer together. No question that's happening. So where does revival fit in? Well, in the book of Revelation, you have the words of Jesus to the seven churches. And we see the church of the end times, the church of Philadelphia, he says, if you keep my word, I'll keep you from the hour of trial coming on the earth to try the whole earth. That's a reference to the great tribulation period that lasts for seven years. But here's what he says to this church. You have a little life. And sort of the picture is of a sick person coming back to health again. And to me, is that an indication that in the end times we'll have a church returning to life? being a little bit more like the church of the first century could be. There's no reason that we could not expect a revival before the rapture. Because what is a rapture? It's when Jesus catches up believers into the air to meet him. Now, let's just say we had a spiritual awakening starting tomorrow, and let's say 5 million people came to Christ. Let's say 10 million people came to Christ. You could see if 10 million people who had been recently converted along with the millions of others who are already converted were immediately caught up to meet the Lord in the air, how that could affect everything, our economy, our military, uh, uh, you know, our education system, everything, just all these people gone simultaneously. You can almost see how the scene would be immediately set for the emergence of a world leader, specifically the Antichrist. So, I see indications in Scripture that there could be an awakening of the church before the Lord comes back. 
You know, this is such fascinating stuff, and I feel like we could just sit here and talk and talk and talk because there's no end to the questions uh, that we could explore, but that's all the time we have today. So, Pastor Greg Laurie, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us. The movie is Jesus Revolution, and it'll be in theaters on February 22nd. 